Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having me this morning. I'm excited to be with you, and this is my first time since COVID being here at the school again. It's awesome. Isn't it so good? <laughs> I, I uh, just have had a great feeling all morning um, just being here. Um, yeah, the, are you guys enjoying the world, world, uh, world track competition going on? They had the marathon this morning. I'm lucky the start time. I ran in the marathon this morning. I ended up uh, pretty, pretty good. Why are you laughing? We, really rude that you're laughing, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Um, uh, yeah, those people, we were, we were just chatting about the marathon. Uh, the winning time was a marathon, 26 miles, uh, two hours and five minutes. That's an that's a under five-minute pace. Um, my pace for the marathon is 26 days. <laughs> and that's actually a little optimistic, to be honest, and probably ambitious, unrealistic. <laughs> 26 days for a marathon, uh, I, know, I don't think that's probably even likely for me, but um, it has been fun. I feel like Eugene kind of looks like really good, like when, you, when, you, when your house is cleaned up for company right before company comes. It's sort of like, it feels good right now just driving around, seeing people and um, seeing lots of different visitors here. It's been fun, I think. But um, uh, Yeah, so I am a teacher, and um, today's passage is, is a little challenging, and I thought... Um, I might give some context for us because I think um, being uh, someone who was uh, born and raised in the United States, that when we read the scriptures, um, sometimes we bring a particular lens and particular values to the scripture. And in my opinion, uh, it can be really helpful for us to uh, just be aware of, of how we're reading and, and how that lens might impact our understanding of the Bible. Do you guys agree with that? So if you don't mind, I, I want to I share just a couple things that aren't necessarily, that, that are more related to, to what I teach. I teach um, political science and history and economics, among other courses, and I want to just give you a couple things to think about. And if that stuff bo- uh, bores you, um, I'll go really fast, okay? Um, there's, 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 two, there's two people I wanted to just, just briefly introduce, introduce you to, and maybe you know these people. One is a political theorist who lived in the 17th century named John Locke. Have you guys ever heard of John Locke before? So John Locke is a really influential political thinker and philosopher, and um, he, uh, he, he wrote uh, uh, an essay or a couple of essays called The Two Treatises on Government, published in 1689. He was an English guy. Um, and he strongly influenced the people who founded this country. And the reason I bring him up is because he, um, he, uh, he, one of his ideas actually will be really familiar to you. I, in my class, I, I, I teach my students I call it the Lockean Trinity, okay? He cared a lot about these, these three things that really uh, value. We call them life, liberty, and anybody guess the third one? 
It's a trick question because it's not the pursuit of happiness, although that's what Jefferson, but you can see Jeff, how he influenced Jefferson because you all know that phrase, right? Life, liberty. John Locke, actually, does anybody know what it is? Who said that? What? Way to go. Oh, there you go. We should chat afterwards. Where do you teach? All right. All right. Very cool. All right. Um, life, liberty, and property. Now, John Locke is like really a, a very influential political theorist. And um, the idea that we have a natural right, not given to us by the government, but a natural right to own property is something that I think is, some, is sort of like you grow up in this country, that is a value that you have. Do you agree? Like that is, that is something that we, we all value. And there's reasons for this. It's literally hundreds of years of existing and operating within systems that, that, that pass these values on to us. You have the right to own property, according to John Locke and our founders as well. The second guy I want to I tell you about is Adam Smith. Adam Smith was a Scottish philosopher and economist. He wrote a book called The Wealth of Nations, which was published, really interestingly, in 1776, which is a significant date for us, obviously. Cutting-edge economic theory at the time of the founding. And Adam Smith is most closely associated with the founding of an economic system we call capitalism. And one of the roots of capitalism, if you're going to define capitalism, is that individuals have the right to own the factors of production, land, labor, capital, and entrepreneurship. Okay, you guys with me so far? Yeah. So, so these two people, these two thinkers, had a profound influence on the establishment of our country and in the systems in which we were born we were civically formed. We were formed, right, we're, as we're going through school. Um, I'm a public school teacher, and some people think that teaching should be neutral. It's absolutely not the case. Why we communicate values, and we always have communicated values to our country, it, it, to our students. You were formed in school, and so was I. And your grandkids and your great-grandkids, right, you're going to be formed through education. So... So we pass on values, and these are the values that we have passed on. Now, the reason why I'm telling you about this is because we're going to be reading a story from Mark. I was assigned this story <laughs> about money, about property, okay? Now, we bring to the scriptures our lens and our values, right? Do you see that? Now, first, another thing is Mark, in this, in this passage, we're going to read from Mark chapter 10 in just a moment, we also have to recognize that Jesus is talking to someone who's a really wealthy person. He's a really wealthy person. And I did some research um, to prepare. And the median income in the United States, personal income per capita in the United States for quarter one of 2022 was $63,884. That's how much the, the average American makes or the median Americans. Yeah, I know. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm under. Okay. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're under. No. Um. But I went to this website called, uh, this called How Rich Am I? And it allows you to compare um, incomes uh, globally. And what I found is that the median American is in the richest 1% of the globe. So when we read this story about Jesus interacting with um, this wealthy person, I think we can sort of 
imagine Jesus is talking to us in some ways. Okay, so have I set the stage? Can we, can we read, read this section? Okay, all of this, you know, you guys are in the middle of a, of a and Quinn, Quinn preached last week, right? And she, she got a really fun passage about kids and how great kids are. <laughs> I mean, I'm not jealous. Well, yes, I'm a little jealous. Is that a sin? Okay. Um, anyways, in, in, in Mark 9, 35, Jesus, Jesus sort of like um, uh, gives, gives an overarching umbrella statement about his, this, this series of teaching. In 9, 30, 35, um, Jesus says, if anyone wants to be first, I want to be first all the time. I always want to be first. I have these, my two little cousins, or my two little nephews just moved here from Seattle, which I'm so thrilled, two and five. And it is like, all, they're two boys, and it is like everything is a competition. I'm first, I'm first, I'm first, I'm first. Like, if you want to be first, what does Jesus say? If, if, if anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Amen? Amen. We could go home right now. We can go have our picnic. Honestly, because we could spend the rest of our lives with that one sentence and still learn how to interact in the world. Do you agree? But I'll keep reading because, you know, it's church. So here we go. Um, so in verse 17 of chapter 10, um, Jesus has this, this, this interaction, and, and, and here's what it says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus has a funny reaction. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at, this, at his words. But Jesus said again, he's repeating himself, by the way. When you have teachers who repeat themselves, that's the point of emphasis, correct? So let's see what Jesus says. Children, how hard it is for, uh, to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Can we say amen together? Amen. I'd like to make a few observations based on this, on this passage, if I can, and then I would like to pray for us, and, and we'll release and go live out in our communities as people who love Jesus. The first thing is, that I notice is, is this. 
this rich man comes to Jesus and he wants to talk theology. He wants to have this theological discussion. It's a fair question. In fact, it's a question that I bet many of us, myself included, often consider frequently. What do do we got to do to be able to go to heaven? What do we have to do to inherit eternal life? What do, we, what do I have to, how do I have to be in this world? What do I have to think in this world? What do I have to, what actions do I have to, to include? And he has this inter, interchange with Jesus. What do I have to do? It's, a, it's like this theological discussion, a, a study of, of, of God and followers of God. He has a good goal. He wants to inherit eternal life. He wants to get treasures in heaven. He wants to enter into the kingdom of God. These are good questions that I hope all of us wrestle with. But one thing that really sticks out to me is that he's very interested in having a theological discussion. Now, I don't think that this is subversive or, or um, coercive or, or ill-intended in any way. But sometimes, have you noticed that it's a lot easier to talk about things than actually do things? Yeah. I thank you for saying yes, because... I was nervous I was the only one. <laughs> like thinking and talking, you know, we, you know, like, you know, like how can we really help the poor? Let, let's go get a $7 cup of coffee and talk about that. You, you know what I mean? Like, like it gets, it feels kind of like, how can we really be, be Christians? Well, why don't we, let's have a meeting about that. You know, we should have a meeting about scheduling meetings um, so that we can... <laughs> Has anybody have a, ever worked for somebody who has a, a too many meetings? I'm, I'm a school teacher, so I have too many meetings, um, right? Yes, okay, um, yeah, so, so meetings about meetings, and sometimes you just got to do the thing, you know? And I don't think, I don't want to impute or, or put on this guy ill intentions, but I want to remember that following God is an action and not just an intellectual exercise, you know? Following God is, 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 a, is, a, is a life is, is a life. It's a way of interacting in the world. It's not just, you know, attending on Sunday, as great as West, West Side is. It's not just talking with your friends at Bible study. It's actually at work and in the marketplace and driving on the road. Have you ever been cut off before? <laughs> it's like, I'm a Christian most of the time, but when I drive, you know, I, I no, um, but you, you, you know what I mean? Like, like we, we actually have an expectation that we behave in the world in a way that is Christ-like. And that is a challenge. In the same way we could read that one sentence over and over for the rest of our lives, we can attempt to interact in the world in a Christ-like way, in a Christian way, um, and, that, and, and practice that. And we probably could spend the rest of our lives um, doing that and have lots of, ways, uh, lots of ways to grow. There's debate among some scholars on this passage is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? In fact, I think about this a lot when I read Bible stories. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? And what people mean by that, does this describe this one conversation with this one rich guy? Or does this, is it prescriptive? Does it prescribe what all people who want to follow Jesus should do? I have a strong opinion on what I hope this passage is. Because full disclosure, I own a house. And I have a car, two cars actually. One's my wife's, one's mine. Um, I own some stuff. And I'm really hoping that it's descriptive. Like, here's this one interaction, because what's the alternative? The alternative is that, that only the people who follow Jesus are the people who sell everything they have and give it to the poor. Now, how many people want to sign up for that? <laughs> <laughs> 
especially with the le cultural lens that we bring. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, so is it descript? I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk just a little, a little bit ab about this. You know, um, there's some debate here. Um, I'll give you some evidence, maybe on either side, and let you guys leave. I don't. I'm not smart enough to have a, a, an opinion on this, but you guys can can consider it and ask God what He would ask you to do. Um, I don't have plans to sell my house. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, but there is a story in Acts chapter five about this 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 couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Have you heard of them before? And people were selling all of their stuff and giving it to the church to distribute to the poor. And they were living with all, as the Bible says, they were living with all their possessions in common. They all shared ownership. Is that your shirt or my shirt? That's our shirt. <laughs> That's a weird way of living, isn't it? Um, but there's this story in Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira who had some land. And they sold the land. And they got a bunch of money for it. And they both came individually, which is kind of weird, but they came individually and gave, gave their money to the church. But what was interesting is the Bible says that they didn't give all of their money. They kept some back. Does anybody remember what happened to Ananias? He, died. he like dropped dead. And he, there's, this, there's this implication in the passage that he was, he was like lying to the church. He's like, here's everything. So there's some deceit involved, and I'm not sure exactly wh what was the cause of his death. But then his wife came later, and they asked her straight up, is this all the money you received? And she said, no. And Peter's like, how dare you? And she dropped dead. Amazing, isn't it? Um, so does God want us to sell our houses and give everything to the poor? That was Ananias and Sapphira's call. There's a lot of evidence, however, to support that um, maybe not. And let, let me give you some of the other side, a defense of ownership of property. Um, Jesus, think about this. Jesus walked around with 12 of his best friends for three years. He didn't have a job. He was like couch surfing, clearly. People are buying him lunches, right? And we know that there are wealthy benefactors of these people. Um, they had financial support. For this, you can see Luke chapter 8, verse 3. These, it's, here's a quote of this, of, this, of this verse. These women were helping support them out of their own means. So there's a, there's a collection of, it's, there's a lot of wealthy women in the Bible. Do you know this? A lot of wealthy women are giving to these guys. Where's the wealthy men? Well, if they're like me, they're selfish. I mean, <laughs> okay, I'll tell you a story about that in just a minute. Um, so, so that's, that's exhibit A, Luke 8, 3. There's a lot of financial support of Jesus in his ministry. He doesn't ask those people to give his money away to feed the poor. He asks them for lunch. Interestingly, right? Um, Joseph of Arimathea in Mark chapter, chapter 15, which you'll get to eventually, maybe in a couple years when you get to the end of your Mark series. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but Joseph of Arimathea, Mark chapter 5, you know, he, 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 he takes Jesus' body and he buries him. Does anybody remember where Jesus is buried? He's buried in a tomb among the, among the rich. So he gets a rich tomb. Now, if Jesus had asked Joseph of Arimathea to uh, give away all of his money to the poor, he couldn't have bought this, this thing, this, this, this rich tomb. Exhibit C is Paul. There's a woman named Phoebe in, in, in Romans chapter 16, verse 2, that 
that describes this woman, Phoebe, as Paul's benefactor or his patron is another way of, of, of saying that. Exhibit D and E is early churches melt, met in the homes of wealthy women, Romans 6, 5 and Acts 16, 14. Uh, Prisca, uh, Prisca, Prisca and Lydia. So in the scriptures, we see a lot of people who are wealthy that, that were not asked to sell their homes and give it all to the poor. In fact, their homes were, were, were used as a tool to share the gospel with people. Their wealth was used as a tool to share the gospel. I think about even in our own day and age, one of my very, very good friends who's a really remarkable person and i just so impressed with his life journey and um, just love him and I'll try to keep it brief, but um, he started a restaurant chain in Kansas City. Um, and in the last four or five years, his restaurant chain has expanded to Chicago and Texas and New York. They have over 31 uh, restaurants now nationally. And what I love about my friend is that he runs his business as a Christian. He pays his employees a living wage. You know, you know, we talk about like not finding enough people to work at our businesses, right? People don't want to work. Well, that's one take. Another take is people want to work in jobs that they can be paid a living wage. My friend's restaurant has no problem finding people to work for them. He never has openings. And as soon as they, someone quits, he has pe- tons of applicants. Why? Because he pays them a living wage and treats them decently. He has salaried employees who run his restaurants. And what they do, you ever heard of this? A salaried employee where they have a strict limit. You cannot work more than 45 hours a week. If you hit 45 hours, you're done for the week. Why? Because they want you to be a good parent and a good spouse. Um, They provide uh, full health benefits and retirements for their salaried employees. he, he, He has a Christian vision to run his business. Do you think God would ask him to sell it? I also have a guy who goes to our church who, who's a handyman, and he has a Christian vision for his business. He only hires people who, have, uh, who are recently released ex-felons, providing jobs for people. Um, one of the wealthiest families that I know uh, runs really well the food pantry at our church, which serves more than 45 people every other week, 45 families. And they're able to run the food pantry at our church because they have resources where they have some time. So I'm thinking about these people and I think to myself, you know, is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? I think we have to judge for ourselves and invite God to speak to our lives. But it seems like to me there's ways that we can use the blessings and resources that we've received in our lives to, 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 be, to, be, to be generously given to others. Amen? And, and so I'm not going to try to answer that question or anything, but, but I will just share those, those thoughts with you guys. Um, the difficult passages, twice Jesus reiterates it's how, how hard it is for rich people to, to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, I want to talk about that for just, just a second. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go uh, to enter the kingdom of God. And um, I've read some people who um, try to explain that phrase away uh, using original language and some of the geography around 
But a lot of people that I read say that's sort of just excusing this for, that's like a rich, someone from a rich person's culture excusing this passage to make it a little easier for us to understand. Um, a camel through the eye of a needle, uh, impossible, right? How hard it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. To reiterate, you know, the, you know the Bible talks more about money than it talks about like prayer. Isn't that funny? Or like faith. It's crazy, isn't it? Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. I think we have that here. Uh, this is Jesus. The suspense is... Do we, do we have that or do we not? Maybe we don't. I'll read it to you if, if we don't. It's okay. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, "No." there it is. Yeah. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Cheery topic. I am jealous of Quinn. <laughs> Talking about how great kids Yeah, kids are cute. Yeah, you know, and in, in, in this passage, Jesus, have you ever heard, have you ever read it? It says, can't serve God and mammon. Have you ever heard that translation before? So mammon's like an evil demon. Like a, like a spirit, like a, like a rival god or something. 1 Timothy chapter 6.10, we think the writer's Paul writing to Timothy is um, protege, and he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Um, And the disciples, when they hear this, the disciples are shocked. It says they're amazed. And then Jesus repeats himself and it says they're even more amazed. And I was thinking about why. And they even say, if, if the rich people can't get saved, then who can get saved? And think about what they are thinking about. Wealthy people are not denied anything in life, it seems, right? Uh, even today, we would, we would see this. Um, who then can be saved? If they can't be saved, who then can be saved? It's almost like they, and, and I think that we, 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 are the, we have the same temptation, that they are tempted to um, apply morality or work ethic or intelligence or righteousness with wealth or poverty. You ever judge someone who was poor and thought they just need to work harder? You ever seen someone who's rich and, and thought, wow, they must be a really hard worker? I, the person that I, in my life that, that vacations more than anyone else I know is, is one of my wealthiest friends. Um, and I have some parents of students, single parents of students who hold two or three jobs and they're incredibly poor. I don't know if wealth necessarily means that we have a, work, a strong work ethic or morality. The disciples were doing the same thing. If the rich people don't get to go to heaven, if they're not moral and righteous then how could anyone else have a hope of being saved? You see that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, ha- I, ha- I have one thought that I would, I, would, I, would, I would say to that, and that, um, as I was studying this and just thinking about it, asking God what, what to say this morning, um, I, 
I just, uh, I, th I think one of the things that, that is that's a challenge for all of us is that affluence tricks us into thinking that we don't need anyone else. Wealth tricks us into thinking that we don't need God. I don't need God. I can just buy whatever I need. Think about, think about poverty, not having, maybe food insecurity, which by the way is, is, is prevalent in this country. People who don't have access to food, as I just told you about, our food pantry served 45 families on Thursday at our church. It's 45 people who needed to come to the food pantry to get food. These people are intimately reminded, I think, much more so than myself who can go to the grocery store and buy groceries, that they need something outside of themselves for their very subsistence and survival. When we have a lot of resources, sometimes we can be tricked into thinking that we can solve all of our problems. And many of us live very comfortable lives. And every once in a while, we bump up into a situation where, we, where money and resources isn't going to fix the problem. Have you ever been there before? And it's just, it's terrifying because so many other ways we can kind of solve the problems ourselves. We don't need anything outside of ourselves. But the Christian community, guys, the Christian community depends on us realizing that we need each other. Like, I'm sorry, you need the people who are sitting right by you. We need people in the greater church. We need people. And we also need God. We cannot save ourselves. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who thinks they can fix all their own problems to get into heaven. Those are challenging words for us, I think. But we need to be reminded that we need something outside of ourselves. It's good for us to know that. It's good for us because it humbles us. What's the key to this scripture? I, I was thinking, like, what, what, what should we take away? Because it's kind of, I feel like it was a little vague and not clear. And I think this is the centerpiece of this passage for us this morning. If you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, in which, and I'll just say a little aside, when, when Jesus is talking about heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is he talking about, like, after you die? What is, how does Jesus describe heaven oftentimes? It's the present and still yet coming reality of what it's like to be in commute, full communion with God. It's, is it now or is it later? Jesus is like, yeah. <laughs> right? Is it now or is it later? So if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, it seems like we can do it right now. But why is it so dang hard for wealthy people to enter into the kingdom of heaven right now? It's because we need to practice radical generosity. And this to me is the centerpiece of this message. If you're, if you're a note taker, you can consider this. But radical generosity, being absolutely generous beyond measure with the gifts and resources that we have. And by the way, do you guys recognize this more than just money? It's time and resources and skills. It's your body. You know, you can be generous with your body by volunteering. Even if you don't have money, you can be generous. You can be generous with how you interact with people. People in restaurants that are, that are serving you. People who are driving nearby you, even if they cut you off, right? People who hold different political views than you and economic views than you. People who challenge your worldview. People who, 
who you don't like being around. There's some people in my life right now that I'm not excited to be with later today. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. No, there's, 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 um, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ways that you and I can be generous. And I, I, I'll confess, this is church, so can I confess something to you guys? Confess my sins? I am not a naturally generous person. Anybody else like me? You don't have to raise your hand. I am not a naturally generous person. You know who is a naturally generous person? My wife. And uh, that's probably why I'm married to her, because she um, is making me be generous all the time, and oftentimes it's against my will. <laughs> I'm involuntarily generous. Like, just this week, we... We were driving a couple of uh, good friends of ours just had a baby, and so we were visiting them at the hospital. And she came home, and she had a, a lot of roses and big balloons and a bag with baby clothing. And she had texted them, like, what can we bring you? And they're like, we want a blizzard. And so she's like, we got to stop and get a blizzard from DQ on the way. And, um, and we were going, we were driving, we are just about the Dairy Queen, and she looked over at me with the biggest smile on her face, and she said, I am so happy right now. And I'm like, how much, how much money were the roses? I'm just. <laughs> uh, no, and then she hosts a baby shower yesterday. And, you know, she's buying fruit for the baby shower and getting flowers for the baby shower. And I'm like looking at Trader Joe's at how much the flowers cost. You know? my, and my sister is moving down, you know, from Seattle. Uh, I told you her, her nephews are my two nephews and her husband, and I'm really excited, and their stuff arrives on Monday, and my wife's like, this is going to be so fun. We're going to go clean their house, and, you know, she, this is the plan for later today. We're going to go clean the house, and then the stuff arrives on Monday, and we're going to unpack the whole house, and I'm like, this is my week. This is the, I'm just describing four days. I'm, <laughs> so I'm, like, learning through my generous wife. But, but you and I, we can, be, we can be generous with our money, we can be generous with our possessions, our time, our, our interactions, the way we interact with people. We can be generous, and I, and I think that's, that's what God's really getting at. Are you supposed to sell your house and give it all to the poor? I'm not going to say you shouldn't, but it seems to me that that's not probably something that God is asking all of us to do or many of us to do. But what I do think God is asking you to do is to be a generous person. I do think God wants you to be generous with the blessings and resources you have. And um, I'm learning how to do that better. And if you want to join me, you can do that too. Um, additionally, I'm kind of nearing the end here. Additionally, Jesus looked at him on verse 21 and is so struck by this. Because when I was reading this passage, I was thinking to myself, this guy's kind of a jerk. He's like, how do I get inherit, inherit uh, eternal life? It's like the one thing you don't have. You're a rich guy. Rich young ruler is what they describe him. Like you're, you're, you're a rich guy and you come to Jesus and you're like, give me the one thing I don't have, eternal life. Let me have it. It's really interesting too, by the way. This is a little aside, but it's really interesting to me that Jesus is like, the first will be last and the last will be first. Become a servant of all. But this guy is like, well, I want to go to heaven. Like I want to, I want to, I want to get this thing. Like how do I get this thing? And Jesus is like, we'll do this and you'll be saved. So this guy comes. He's like, how do I get the one thing I don't have? And Jesus is like, well, what are the what's the ten commandments? And he and he quotes the the final five ten commandments, which the first four ten command of the ten commandments are all about how we interact with God. Have you guys recognized that? And then the final five are about how we interact with each other. And so he says how we interact with each other. That's how you go to heaven, by the way. 
or maybe enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus would say, which he uses that phrase twice. Entering into the kingdom of God, creating the kingdom of God, participating with the kingdom of God is how we treat one another, how generous we are with one another. That's how you go. That's how you, that's how you inherit eternal life, he tells this rich guy. Fascinating, right? And so, and so how we interact with one another, and the guy goes, sweet. I've been doing all that since I was a boy. I'm amazing. And I'm reading this exchange. Oh, and, and also, you know, also he's like, good teacher, good teacher. And Jesus is like, I'm not good. I'm, how could you call anything but God good? Which is kind of weird. I don't really understand why Jesus would respond that way, but he does. So, so I'm reading this and I'm like, this guy's annoying. This guy's kind of a jerk. This guy, this guy's full of himself and he, he you know, he, he's, 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 he's not like a nice dude. Like, I don't think... And then, I, and then I'm shocked because in verse 21, do you notice what it says? It says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. It's amazing. I'm just thinking about that for, for, for myself or for, for you or all of us. That Jesus looks at us. He knows us. He knows Everything about us. He knew that this guy maybe had obeyed these laws since he was a boy. But he also knew that he had a lot of resources and maybe he had a, he had a difficult time like me being generous. He looks at him and knew, he knows this guy. And yet, he loved him. And the same is true for you and I, I hope, I think. That Jesus knows you probably better than you know yourself. The Bible says that Jesus knows how many hairs are on your head. Some of us more than others. <laughs> Speaking for myself. And he loves you. He knows all the stuff you're doing. And he also knows the stuff you're not doing. The ways that you have not obeyed. The ways that, that I have not obeyed. The ways that I have, I have failed to follow him well. And yet, he loved him. It's powerful to me. And I want to close with this. I love that Jesus says to his astonished disciples, how can this be, you know? How, how can it be difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? I love that Jesus says with man... This is impossible, but with God, but not with God, all things are possible with God. I love that. Also, here's a weird question for you. I'm just sort of like throwing out random stuff for you guys. This guy's like, what do I have to do to get inherit eternal life? You gotta obey the, ten, the second half of the Ten Commandments. Okay, good, I did that. Oh, there's one thing you haven't done. You need to give all your riches, sell all your riches and give it away to the poor. And the guy turns and walks away sad, right? But then if you skip down to the bottom of the passage, what does Jesus say? His disciples are like, if he can't be, if he can't be saved, how can anybody be saved? And Jesus says, right. What's impossible with man, pause right there. What does that mean? Jesus said, give away, sell all your stuff and give it away to the poor. And this guy leaves. And then later on in the story, Jesus is like, exactly, What's impossible with man, Jesus was asking, it sounds to me, 
Jesus was asking this guy to do something that he knew was impossible. Just think on that for a little bit. Sometimes when I share, I like to just throw questions out that I don't have answers to (laughs) and let you guys leave and think. And if you come up with some good ideas, reach out to me. But what's impossible, it's impossible for this man to sell everything he had and give it away. But thank God that what's impossible with man is possible with God. Amen? Because in many ways, I feel like I personally, and I, I bet many of you would agree, would identify with this rich young ruler. If God asked me to sell my house, I got to be honest, like, it's very hard for me to envision me doing that. And so I hope God does impossible things because because salvation, saving ourselves, uh, is not something we're able to do. We need God to do that. And that's what I think the affluent perhaps oftentimes forget. I want to close with um, these. Uh, I want to close with um, this week. <laughs> uh, don't don't put these pictures up yet. But I am going to I am going to show the pictures. But don't put them up yet. Um, I I'm I'm kind of nerdy in, in in many ways. Um, <laughs> but um, one thing that I've been really uh, re- one thing that I am always moved by, deeply moved by actually, is images of space. And uh, this week, we've seen the release of some really special images, uh, the James Webb Telescope, which is a telescope that um, NASA, the European Space Agency, and the Canadian Space Agency have been working on jointly uh, going back all the way to 1996, which is the year I graduated high school, so it was a long time ago. Um, and, um, and, and this week, they released the first images from this really cool space telescope. And uh, I, I kind of have goosebumps right now just thinking about it because it's just really remarkable. And uh, Why don't we show our first, uh, our first image? Um, so this is, uh, these are, th- this is what the night sky looks like when you don't have anything in the way. And what's amazing about this image, I was reading about these images, this picture is a fragment of the night sky. What they said is if you take a grain of sand and you put it on your finger and you hold it up in the middle of the night, that's that image. And the complexity and the beauty and the power of this. And they have, this is a cool image because I was reading a little bit about it. They have some lensing going on. You can kind of see that due to gravitational pulls, and I can't explain why, <laughs> that some of the stars look like they're warping or twisting or bending. Uh, really powerful. So this image came up, and I was thinking about it a lot this week, and just reading a lot about it. Let's go to our second image. Uh, this is this is um, this almost brings a tear to my eye. Actually, it's like beautiful. <laughs> uh, this is the Carina Nebula, and this is a stellar nursery where stars are born. What's really cool is we have images from the Hubble's uh, telegram uh, telescope, but. Um, the images, if I'm not mistaken, most of the stars within the gases, um, you can't really see. So this is a much clearer image than the Hubble Space Telescope. So these are like baby stars being formed. And what's amazing is that I was reading some of the peaks of, these, of this cloud are seven light years, um, are seven light years tall. 
So what that means is that some of the peaks of this, I mean, I'm not an astronomer, but I get really geeky about this stuff. What I think that means is that if you started at the base of some of these peaks, a, a photon of light would take seven years to travel from the base to the peak. You and I don't have the mental capacity to wrap our mind around the beauty of the cosmos. Uh, but when we read, when I read about stuff like this or I see these images, I'm just struck by how powerful God is. And when I think about how I compare myself to someone who makes $50,000 a year more than me, I feel like my priorities are misplaced. And, and, I, and I wanted to show these images today because... I, I thought it was, I, I was moved all week by them, but I, I also am moved by the way we compare ourselves to one another and how in the grand scheme of things, God's cosmos is so great and so powerful um, that I just, uh, I think our wealth and our riches and our resources pale in comparison. Amen? All right, well, uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'll invite the band to come back up. But if you'll pray with me, that'd be awesome. Um, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your scripture, which guides us to truth. And I'm grateful that you, um, I'm grateful this morning, Lord, that you, that you look at us. You know us. You know our hearts, and the scriptures even Tell us that you know our hearts better than we know our own hearts. I'm struck this morning that you know um, our, our, our successes and the things that we've done well. I'm also struck this morning that you know the ways that we have yet to grow and opportunities um, for us that we have before us. And I thank you, Lord, that despite both of those things, that you look at us and you love us. And Lord, for any of us here, I, I pray for us to have a, a, a good assessment, just a reflection on our own life, our resources, our money, our time, our bodies, our brains, the ways that we interact with human beings, people that have value and immeasurable value, um, the thoughts we think, the words we speak. Um, Lord, help us to be generous people because it's so hard for ungenerous people to become saved. It's so hard for ungenerous people to enter into the present kingdom of God, the present and coming kingdom of God. It's so difficult for affluent people to do that. And Lord, in, in a lot of ways, we all have resources. All of us, every person here, Lord, has been blessed. And Lord, help us to be generous people who have vision like you do, Lord. We love you so much and we thank you for uh, teaching us and being with us this morning. In your name, let's all say it together.